Hello, and welcome to Foul Puck, a podcast about sports ball for the rest of us. Unlike other sports ball podcasts, we talk about sports without assuming that you out there in listener land know everything that there is to know about the HDA, the CWHL, or the PWHPA. We are here this afternoon, this evening, depending on where you are, uh, to talk about a number of items. So let's start off by introducing our uh, our team today. I'm Nancy. I am your uh, basketball enthusiast. And we have here in the black t-shirt. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm your baseball guru. Are you sure you want to still own that right now, Rachel? Yeah, you know, I had I had second thoughts as soon as it came out of my mouth. But I mean, at this point, I think I'm committed. I think there's just too much evidence out there for me to, to try to go back on it. That's fair. That's fair. So going I'm going to have to own up to it. Yep. Yep. And down it goes. No, just watch it. Don't go down with it. Just watch it go down. Uh, I hear the music on the decks real nice. <laughs> I don't know. They're too busy rearranging the chairs. <laughs> uh, and I'm Rebecca. I'm on the East Coast, so it is evening here for me. Uh, and I am your hockey person. And for once, I'm actually a little bit proud to say that I'm I'm on board with the NHL. Oh, I know it's very you are weird for me. The hell out of this! I know I am. <laughs> but I have to. I have to. I have to talk about the good things every like ten years when they happen. That's fair. That's that's yeah. entirely fair. We'll give you that. Live in the moment. The yeah. moment is good. Come what may. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so Rachel, let's uh-huh. start with this ship, this wonderful ship, which <laughs> steamed out of port um, with you potentially on board, along with several teams. And before they began rearranging the furniture, including by clearing all the benches, how was it going? Oh, well, they very confidently rammed into that iceberg again. So <laughs> so what you're saying is they backed up, built up a yeah. head of steam, and drove right for it one more time. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah they thought they could uh, better get a better angle on it this time. Yeah, so uh, just as the Marlins uh, came back with uh, all new Marlins players, because the Who- rest of them have the plague. I want to say the new players are doing so well. Why weren't these the original players? You know, that question did cross my mind. Um, it's the Marlins. That's all I can say. Uh, okay. Answer accepted. Um, yeah, I think they have lost a couple of times, finally. Um <laughs> I only say finally because it appeared that we were careening towards some type of, you know, antimatter situation wherein the Marlins were just winning everything. And because they'd had so many fewer games than the rest of the league, they had by far the highest mm-hmm. win percentage. At one point, they'd won mm-hmm. 83% of their games. Um, <laughs> but that's only the because Twitter they had would... solid B average. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Um and so the Twitter account was having a field day with it, and it was kind of like, well, you know what? I'll give them this one. I'm not gonna not gonna criticize them for that. Um, so yeah, they came back and then won like five or six straight games, something crazy like that. And I think they did lose these last two to the Mets, but yeah, I can uh, see nobody expected that. Um, 
So I that mean, the, the MLB is blowing away our expectations in other ways right now. Oh, <laughs> always. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a few more of the Cardinals have tested positive and they've had some more games pushed back. Oh, my God. And then my A's, they were they were doing so well. And in certain they ways, were. they are. They're on, they, they, are. They, they are on a nine-game winning streak right now, which I'd probably jinx just by talking about it. Knock on wood here. And, but the um, thing you can't jinx is that they swept the Astros, right? Yeah. So <laughs> their latest series has been against the Astros. And just I want you to, to picture that spelled A-S-S every time I say Astros <laughs> here on out. And um, as hopefully the pandemic has not erased from our memories, the Astros were the team that uh, was uh, found to be uh, cheating when they won the 2017 World Series that season. They were uh, using cameras and banging on trash cans in their dugout to signal the batters, which pitch was coming. And uh, of course this was big news coming up to spring training. Um, and then the pandemic happened and uh, my personal uh, conspiracy theory that I've not heard in the media, but I just like to throw it out there was that the Astros somehow engineered the coronavirus to take the heat off them. <laughs> the cheating scandal. Legit. Yeah. I'll buy it. So I mean, uh, were- I mean, baseball has proved that it can spread very widely within that community. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm on board with pinning it on baseball. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. So, uh, you know, but it, it proved when they did finally come back in late July that people had not all forgotten about it. I think uh, Rebecca posted to the Twitter about the Yankees. Uh, greeting the Astros on the field by banging trash can lids at them. That was that was pretty fabulous. That was pretty amazing. Um, that was beautiful. Those pictures were terrific. So like yeah. every single Yankees member had a big old trash can lid and a stick. And it was, I mean, this was not yep. like two or three guys. This was like set up in a line. I was impressed. That yep. was solid. <laughs> um, and then they played the Dodgers and uh, who was the team that lost the World Series to them in 2017. Um, and their pitcher, Joe Kelly, uh, played the old bean ball and hit one of their uh, star hitters, Alex Bregman, hit him with a pitch, which started the first bench-clearing brawl of the 2020 season. <laughs> and, yeah, so Joe Kelly got suspended for eight games, which, um, considering the length of the season, is extremely significant. Well, it's only um, like two days, right? right? Eight games? <laughs> yeah, at this point, it's eight, yeah, eight games, but with four games a day, you yeah. know, it goes by pretty quickly. Um, so I'm not sure if anything else had uh, had gone on in between then. I hadn't been paying attention to the Astros, because why pay attention to them if you don't have to? Um, so they come in to uh, the, play the A's at the Coliseum on a five-game losing streak, or at least they are now. Um to be fair, they have a lot of people out on injuries. They've traded a lot of players away this past season. But uh, still the Astros. Yeah, they still, uh, they're still terrible. Um, <laughs> but they're really hurting this season. Um, they are not looking good. And uh, so, yeah, the, the A's had beat them three games in a row, coming up on the fourth game yesterday. And uh, Loriano got up to bat uh, A's. Uh, outfielder Ramon Laureano, and he'd already been hit by a pitch. Who we love. Yes, yes, he's wonderful. He's um, terrific. Yes, we he, love. He'd already been hit by a pitch in the game, and he comes in in the seventh inning, 
And it's a new pitcher who threw a curveball that missed and hit him square in the back. It was not, it was almost certainly not intentional. But, you know, he he was fed up having been hit several times already once in this the game. So he goes to first and he's, he's grumbling about it as players do. Um, and then starts interacting with the, cause the, the visiting dugout is across from the uh, first base. So some words are said from the dugout and Loriano looks at the dugout. Yes. Do you Rebecca. know what, do you know what that distance is between the I first don't. base and the dugout? Um, I mean, is it like sig- four feet it's not or like 25 feet? Um, because the Coliseum is also home to the Raiders football team, the shape oh. of it is weird. Oh. So, um, it's, yeah. it's significant distance okay. in the, um, so, which meant that the, uh, the huh. Astros had to yell pretty loud to be heard. Um, and then not but even it, one of the, it, it's far enough that when, so Ramon Laureano is walking from home to first base mm-hmm. and he kind of stops halfway because the guys in the dugout are shouting at him. And when he decides to run at the dugout to go whip somebody's rear, which apparently deservedly, he has time to like hit a full sprint. So okay. it's far enough yeah. away. Okay. That's helpful. That yeah, so he has time to hit a full sprint and then to also get tackled before he gets there. Okay. So Yeah, and it's it's pretty clear from the footage. It wasn't even the players, it was one of, it was the Astros hitting coach has his mask down around his neck and is very pointedly shouting something at Loriano. Um, and then makes a come hither gesture at him. Yeah, and like holds and up Loriano his hand and says, a come, come hither you know. gesture? Wait. Yeah. Well, this, yeah. that's the that's foul puck after dark, Nancy. Save that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well, isn't it isn't it dark where you are yet? No, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is I'll, this I'll is sunlight on my face right here. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll save that for later. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, he he throws the batting helmet down, takes off in a sprint towards the dugout. The uh, and he's at, fast. Yeah, he's he's a, he's one of the uh, A's fastest dudes, but. Uh, they're uh, one yeah. of their catchers. The Astros catcher, like, full body tackles him before he can get there. And after that, it's on. Everybody from the Astros bench yep. is up. Everybody from the A's bench and the, the you know, comes wow. running over. And uh, I think it's safe to say that social distancing guidelines were violated pretty substantially <laughs> within the next minute or so. Um, I everybody's mean, the two knots of fighting guys might have been six feet apart. <laughs> yeah, but like there was continuous touch with bodies between them. It was, it was. That's true. It was a monkey pile. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and <laughs> the best part was the announcers, who were these, you know, oh, two yeah. old respectable white guys going, "Oh, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea." <laughs> um, and you know, obviously, it truly wasn't. Both because, hey, <laughs> you know, you're not technically supposed to to fight each other in baseball it's not really supposed to be a thing though it does happen from time to time um but also because of the guidelines um you know they're they're handing out pretty substantial suspensions like i said joe kelly you know he didn't throw the first punch but he threw the pitch so he was considered the uh insider of the the brawl um so you know, A's might lose Loriano for a week or more. So that game so was I, yesterday? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, last night. Le- okay, so how long do they usually take to announce these 
suspensions? Uh, not long. I thought okay. it would be by today, but as far as I know, they haven't announced it yet. Um, though I did this, so, and this is just a rumor, but uh, a reporter said on Twitter, we'll know more soon, but a person I respect has uh, been told that the A's Ramon Laureano charged toward Alex Cintron. That's the, the um, uh, Astros hitting coach who was yelling at him because Cintron mentioned Laureano's mother in a bad way. In Latino culture, those are fighting words. First of all, I would like to say in many cultures, those are fighting words. Yes, in most, in fact. Yeah, and the reporter goes on to say, the person who told me this described Laureano as one of the nicest men alive. Remember, Laureano knows many folks in the Astros organization. So the interesting thing about this is, there's remember, there's no fans in the stands. There's no crowd noise. There's some being pumped in, but it's not significant. So everything that was said in that fight is almost certainly recorded somewhere. So one would hope that they can get to the bottom of this in terms of, like, who started who the fight and thus who mama? should be punished for it. Yes. Yes. And it's just so bizarre. Well, I guess not in the context of the Astros, because... Because <laughs> they like, suck. <laughs> yeah, and there's, their staff has been you know, out and out assholes to people before they're the same team that the, um, the one coach harassed the female reporters by yelling about the, the player that, um, is charged with domestic violence. So they're just, you know, they're gross, (laughs) not terribly surprising to hear that, you know, one of their staff members was just goading a player for no good reason. And like I say, this is rumored, this is all alleged, but Loriano's not a hothead. The A's don't really have too many hotheads on the team. Mm. And like, you know, it was clearly not about the pitcher. That That's what got Loriano kind of steamed up in the first place. But, oh, it's just so frustrating, this whole thing. I did see, um, <clears throat> I saw some interesting analysis of this because I, I, <laughs> I was watching the video, um, which is, if our listeners haven't looked it up, it's pretty hilarious. Like, honestly, <laughs> you know. I feel like we should reiterate the position of the pod is that none of this should be happening because this is terrible and people are getting sick and that's awful. Given that it is, the video is hilarious. Um, (laughs) But the thing that I was hearing uh, about this versus the Joe Kelly thing is that first of all, um, Joe Kelly was the one who threw the beanball and thus very clearly did incite this, whereas Loriano did not. He first was struck and then was taunted. And also, uh, I was seeing things from the Astros catcher who, who tackled Loriano, who knew him, like, as a buddy of his or something. And he said, you know, I, I tackled him to try and, and, like, prevent things from escalating. Right. So he gets him to the ground. So Loriano never actually throws any punches. Right. And as far as I know, nobody actually throws any punches. It's just like a giant pushing and shoving <laughs> match. And yeah, that's the thing I about think... baseball fights. They're, they don't tend to be like hockey <laughs> They're fights. They're very schoolyard yeah. fights. Yeah, it's a lot kind of shoving. Of funny. Mm-hmm. A lot of shoving, a lot of shirt grabbing. Um, but I think in the Joe Kelly fight, people did throw punches. And so that was part of it. So the speculation I was seeing was that maybe Loriano and other folks will not be suspended as long because there were never, you know, like it was never actually, you know, shots fired as it were. Um, and also he was not the one who started it. So, I mean, we'll see. He did not initiate any physical contact. Right, exactly. So, 
He sure would have liked to, but he didn't actually well, he, succeed in it. I mean, he might have had his friend not right. tackled him. Yeah, um, exactly. So in hockey, it is very unusual um, for for a opposing coach or opposing staff member behind the bench to talk to one of your players. Like, uh, unheard of. You know, it's it's... You don't talk to the other team's players. It's, I, I don't, yeah, know. I don't even know the right word. to be a good rule. But I don't, is <laughs> yeah. that, like, is that? I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of any other, I mean, I don't think I've seen any other direct taunts right. like this. Right, no, that's the thing. It's so, it's so not done. You just don't yeah. see it. Because the one time yeah, I remember I seeing it, it in hockey, it instigated some stuff. And to go to something so personal so quickly, like, uh, it's just bizarre. Yeah. So didn't Loriano used to be on the Astros, like, years ago? Um, maybe so. I know, like, I did see that he, he knows a lot of the Astros players. Um, I think I saw something that said he used to be on them, like, four or five years ago, like, a, a right. while ago. Um, which makes me wonder, do, do potentially he and this hitting coach have a history or something that, that made this, you know, That's... like, is it, I mean, cause that would also explain maybe yeah. some of the reaction from Loriano if it's somebody that he already has bad blood with. I don't know. Just throwing that out. Okay. There. So he never actually played with the Astros, but they drafted him and he played in the minors oh, okay. with, um, a lot of the, some of the players that are on the Astros now. So he does know okay. some of the guys, um, even if he didn't play major league ball with them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. And as to basketball, yeah, I don't, I can't think of times where I've seen coaches talk to the rival players unless they're like interrupting a fight between two players. Right. Yeah. Maybe, but even then, it's usually left up to the rest. It's just not you done. Know. Yeah, no. And, and I've certainly, I mean, Steve Kerr gets ejected from games on the regular. Um, <laughs> bless him, he does have a temper. Uh, <laughs> but he, you know, he takes it out on the refs. He doesn't, I don't think I've seen him take it out on a rival player. Um, he just shouts at the refs a lot and then gets thrown out. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I would say in basketball, maybe you do see it occasionally when breaking up a fight, but but not you wouldn't just, like, start heckling the other team's player. That would not be a thing. Yeah, and apparently Loriano has confirmed it. Um, So it says, after being hit by a pitch for the third time in the series and the second time in the game, Loriano pantomimed toward pitcher Humberto Castellanos how to properly snap off a slider, prompting a response from the Astros bench. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Loriano said that Cintron (laughs) uttered an expletive at him, which Loriano returned. Then Loriano told ESPN, Cintron said in Spanish something you don't say about my mother. Following the exchange of words, Cintron, as shown on replay, stepped out of the first base dugout and motioned for Loriano to come at him. Loriano ran at Cintron, who stayed behind Astros players as Loriano was tackled and the benches for both teams emptied. And Cintron is denying it. But he's, he talked about Loreno's mother, but he declined what he did to detail what he did say. Uh-huh. <sighs> you make a good point about the recording, though. Yeah. Because they may have exactly what he said on a recording. Yeah. And this says, and, you know, it's, it's 
I don't know how official this is, but while Loriano is expected to be suspended, Cintron, because he is a coach and is expected to set a standard of behavior, stands to receive a significantly lengthier ban, according to sources. So that would be oh, interesting. Good. All right. That would yeah. be appropriate. That's an interesting perspective. I kind of want to think so, about that one. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. They're still still weighing their options. So, yeah, let's not have coaches taunting players for any reason. So... Back to the A's, though, Rachel. Uh-huh. Tell us how good they've been doing. Because, as I recall, there have been two walk-off grand slams. Is yep. that correct? Yep. So, so the, uh, can the first one... Explain to us, first of all, can you explain to us what a walk-off grand slam is? I would be happy to. So that Excellent. combines two two of the best things in baseball. Uh, your chocolate and your peanut butter. <laughs> your chocolate being the Grand Slam home run, where uh, you've got base runners on all three bases and the batter hits a home run, thus scoring four, one, four runs in one swing of the bat. Always delightful when it's your team doing it. And the peanut butter in this situation is the walk-off hit, which is where uh, you're the home team and you are uh, either tied or, or slightly behind. And it's the last thing of the game. Now, usually this is the bottom of the ninth, but, you know, games that go into extra endings, it may be the bottom of the 10th, 11th, what have you. Um, and you bottom get the of hit. at least the ninth. Yes. And so, therefore, you know, the game ends when your inning ends. Um, and the in that situation, the game can actually end before three outs if you're the home team and you score more than the other team. Because if you kept playing, you could just keep racking up runs and there's really no point to it. But they call a game off as soon as that run is scored that breaks the tie or, you know, makes the home team win. Um, so that doesn't always have to be a home run. It could be that, you know, you've got someone on second, you, you get a good hit and it sends the runner home, score the run, the game ends then. Everybody runs out onto the field and, um, you know, high fives everybody, dumps the Gatorade on somebody's head, that sort of thing. So in rare situations, you combine, you manage to combine the uh, Grand Slam with the walk-off and get a walk-off Grand Slam. And that's extremely exciting when it's your team that hits one of them. And in the, their first 12 games of the season, the A's got two. The first one was on uh, their opening night, which was very exciting uh, in extra innings. And uh, the second one, the 11th or 12th game, um, which was funny because, you know, it's been everybody's saying they're on uh, the a roll to hit uh, 12 of them this season if they keep on this pattern. Um, mm. So that's that's been really delightful. And uh, as of right now, the 10th, they haven't played their game today, but they are undefeated in the month of August. That's amazing. So that's pretty darn cool. Nine-game win streak. That's terrific. I love it. When do they play next? Do they play tonight? Uh, tonight they play the Angels. Yep. Oh, who have okay. not been doing All so right. well uh, recently. So we'll, well. see. There we go. So one of those walk-off Grand Slams was uh, was Olsen, right? Matt Olsen. Yes. Who got the other one? I didn't hear. Uh, Austin Allen, the new catcher, got... A, I don't think it was the home run. I think it was a, another walk, a walk-off hit. Um, oh, good Piscotti, for him. Scotty, maybe? Or Pinder? Was it Scotty? Okay. Um, let me, oh, good for let me Google that. I was just curious. I should remember that. Um... I don't think there's really any sort of equivalent to a walk-off Grand Slam in basketball. Is there in hockey? I mean, like, there's a, you just either you're... I, I guess maybe a goal in overtime would be kind of equivalent. 
Yeah. Uh, Piscotti. Yes, it was Piscotti. Okay, great. Cool. But yeah, it's a pretty unique uh, thing in sports where, you know, you score and the game's just over. So there are a couple of times in hockey when um, you do sudden death overtime. That would be the only time. Yeah, I remember so talking during, about that. Yeah, so during the regular season, when you finish three periods of hockey and you're tied, there's a five-minute overtime that is sudden death, meaning whoever scores mm-hmm. first wins the game. Um, that is only in the regular season, though. That does not happen in the playoffs. Gotcha. Well, speaking of hockey, Rebecca, yes. would you like to tell us about what the Hockey Diversity Alliance is and what it's been up to. Yes, I would love to. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a step back before we get into the Hockey Diversity Alliance, which is the HDA okay. that Nancy referenced <laughs> in, in our intro today, just to you know, bring it all back together. The first and shortest of our acronyms. Yeah. So... Um, uh, the the National Men's Hockey League is one of the, if not the least diverse, uh, well, it's definitely the least diverse of the big four um, sports in terms of race. Mm-hmm. Probably in terms of culture, um, probably in terms class. of class and sexuality as well. Yeah. Um, but in particular, it's it's obvious um, that there is a disparity in race. For example... Right, we figured um, they have one one black guy per team. Is that what we figured out? Yes, roughly. There are, <laughs> roughly. About, there are about 30, maybe 35 players of color, and there are 31 teams. And is there any, like, Latino or Asian presence at all. I know that there are some indigenous players, which I thought was interesting. Yes, there are a couple of um, um, Canadian indigenous individuals. Um, There are, there's at least two Asian players I can think of. Um, Jonas Siegenthaler on the um, Capitals is Thai and Swiss. Um, Mm -hmm. And Kyler Yamamoto, who plays for, I want to say the Oilers, is um, of some Asian extraction. I don't recall which one. Um, The name Yamamoto, probably Japanese. It's probably a good guess. Uh, Hispanic players. Wait a minute. I'm going to regret this one because I know there's one. Oh, there's, there's, uh, but again, there's probably like three. I think Austin Matthews has... Um, Hispanic descent or is of Hispanic mm-hmm. descent. Um, but, but I mean, this, this conversation kind of illustrates, right. illustrates the problem. The exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Very much so. Indeed. Um, in a, in a recent statement about, um, diversity and, um, initiatives, the capitals mention that they have been historically one of the most racially diverse, um, teams, franchises, and in their, uh, since 1974, when they started, they have had 11 black players. Wow. Wow. Yes. (laughs) So 11 players in what, 40 years, 45 Mm -hmm. years 
is one of the most diverse, racially diverse teams in the league, right? So, so you get you get the picture here. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in on October seventh of twenty seventeen, JT Brown, who was then playing for the um, Tampa Bay Lightning, he raised his fist during the national anthem um, in a in a show against police brutality. He was the first hockey player to do so. Um, Several months later, he wrote an essay that was posted on NHL.com about that experience. And he said, I knew protesting could make it harder to get a contract next season. My family and I were prepared for this to end my NHL career. I had decided that I was comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, And again, I think this just kind of indicates the the culture that the NHL has that raising a fist in in protest of police brutality and in a show of solidarity with black people and black hockey players he was prepared for that to end his contract end his career yes Rachel um just a, a quick question it's maybe kind of tangential but do you have any idea the sense of like what percentage of the league is Canadian versus American? It is more Canadian than American. Um, I don't recall. I, I'm going to say it's it's like 60% Canadian American and 40% other. And then it's probably 60-40 okay. yeah, Canadian American. That makes sense. I was going to guess it's about a third foreign, but, but 40% might be more accurate. But I mean, that's that, that's an off-the-cuff guess. Okay. And foreign is, you know, Scandinavia and Eastern Europe for the most part. Yes. Yes, just yeah, non-North American. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's Sweden, Finland, Czech Republic, Russia, maybe a couple others. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's all mm. it's predominantly white countries. So, that was kind of the the first the first time the NHL like outwardly had to deal with race. Um, I mean, of course, they should have been <laughs> dealing with it all along. 2017. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and JT Brown got, like, death threats. People were calling his babies the N-word. Like, horrifying, horrifying response. Um, so, so that was 2017. In... Um, just this year, just two months ago in June, um, the Hockey Diversity Alliance was started. And their um, mission is to eradicate racism and intolerance in hockey. Um, it, was, it has been established by um, nine players, um, former and current, um, Evander Kane and Akeem Aliu are co-heads of the organization. Um, Evander Kane plays for the Sharks. We've talked about some of his checkered past with regard to um, violence against women. Um, I'm, you know, I, of course, I don't condone violence against women. (laughs) That, just gonna put it out there. But this is one of those times (laughs) where I'm, I'm kind of giving Evander Kane a clean slate. Because I can only imagine how 
challenging, difficult, scary it was for somebody to step up in this culture and say, we need change. So, and, and he has done so loudly and at length. Yes. Yes. He has not just like a passing sort of mention from, right. And so Akeem, um, Aliou, and I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, but I've read it so many times. I just don't hear it often. Um, he was, he is currently a restricted free agent, so he could be playing, but he has not been signed. Um, he is Nigerian born. He lived in the Ukraine until he was about seven. And then he lived in Canada from then. So he started playing in Canada. He released, um, a series of statements, articles, had some conversations about in the last year or so about the abuse physical, emotional, verbal abuse that he suffered at the hands of other players and coaches because of his race. Um, And he firmly believes, and I'm going to go ahead and say he's right, that it's because he came forward about these, um, these allegations when they were happening, he, you know, he kind of tried to take it up the chain a couple times and, and now he's he's convinced that that's the reason that he doesn't have a contract um, mm. in hockey. Again, probably right. Um, this is the the Kaepernick effect. Yeah. Yes, yes. So it's Akeem Aliu, Evander Kane of the Sharks, Trevor Daly of the Penguins, Anthony Duclair of the Senators, Matt Dumba of the Wild. And I think we talked about Matt Dumba last week because he was the yeah. first player to kneel during the anthem. Um, Mm -hmm. And he made a very beautiful speech before he did. Um, So the the Hockey Diversity Alliance also includes Nazem Kadri from the Avalanche, Wayne Simmons from the Sabres, Chris Stewart with the Flyers organization who plays for the Phantoms now, and Joel Ward, who is retired. Um, May I ask how many of those are of players of color versus white players? They are all players of color. Oh. Yes. So, hmm. Yes, um, we have seen, um, well, I'll touch on that. Okay. Because your, your hmm speaks volumes, and I do have some <laughs> of that in here. Okay, well, I won't um, jump ahead, please. <clears throat> so, um, so right now, the, oh, part of what the Hockey Diversity Alliance did was basically submit, like, a list of, they're not demands, but kind of a list of suggestions, right? They want to work with the NHL to make the NHL a more diverse and inclusive place to provide resources, coaching, training, whatever for um, children of color, for college students of color, all of this kind of thing to, you know, to broaden the game and to make its current players of color feel safer, in the locker rooms and in the sport. Right. Um, So one of the things that the um, NHL is doing right now during the playoffs is they, they have all of these, we play for equality. It's, it's hashtag we play for, and then they have different Mm -hmm. like words after it, equality, black lives, uh, diversity, things like that, which, you know what, quite frankly, for the NHL is like, 
leaps and bounds ahead of where, where, <laughs> well, not where they should be, but where I thought they would be. <laughs> right. Um, uh-huh. They're still well behind where they should be. Um, but Evander Kane said just, again, just this year, within the last two weeks, I'm going to say, the NHL can put Black Lives Matter all over the rink, shout Black Lives Matter from the mountains. No matter what they do or say, it falls on deaf ears with me and every other person in the Hockey Diversity Alliance because the league has made no effort to support its own black players. Um, so this this very much feels... Legit. Yes. Oh, 100%. Um, it very much feels to many fans of color and additionally queer fans... Um, performative and not real which you know who knows honestly who knows yeah um but it's it kind of highlights some of the inconsistencies and hypocrisy within the league for example the Bruins uh from Boston have been linking arms during the anthems as a show of solidarity as a show of something (laughs) For their, mm-hmm. for their fellow players. But then their goalie, Tuka Rask, did an interview and he's wearing a Boston police hat. And yeah, great. something similar you know, happened in baseball where the, everybody, because they've been wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirts mm-hmm. in um, uh, like batting practice and, and warm-ups and stuff. And then, you know, there's a, a player with a, a, a police department hat on yeah. with the Black Lives Matter shirt. Yeah. Well, so and similar the thing performative is, aspect. Just, you know that they don't understand the conflict there. Like, or at least I feel like I know that because I feel like I know so many people, you know, in real life who don't get how those two things are contradictory. Right. And so, I, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't think any of us ascribe malicious intent to any of these players, but it's just completely tone deaf. Right. And exactly. Lacking in understanding of the issues. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yes. Um, and then, you know, hockey routinely, it, every every franchise routinely has um, military nights, first responder nights, right. honor the police right. nights. Yeah. Same for baseball. Like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to mention the fact that we're actually playing the national anthem before every game, which I think was on our list of topics to talk <gasps> about one time, yeah. but now yeah. is not that time. <laughs> um, so, but but on the flip side... We have seen, so mostly we've seen statements from white players um, during during isolation, quarantine, during the George Floyd protests. Um, many white players, probably not, definitely not enough, probably a low percentage of the NHL, but we have seen many players come out and make statements like, I'm embarrassed that I didn't realize it was this bad and I'm listening and I'm trying to get better, Right. And well, good. I mean, honestly, I appreciate that they're like, shit, I, I realized I was kind of ignoring this before, right? That's that's a step mm-hmm. that that is it more is than many yeah. people are willing to take. Um, totally. But a lot of it has been, you know, performative in that way that they make that statement and then we don't know that they're doing anything else. Now, again, we're, mm-hmm. I, sadly, I do not live in Gabe Landeskog's back pocket, so I don't know <laughs> if he's doing something on a daily basis to, you know, work towards anti-racism. Um, 
but but you know, given given what we've talked about so far today and kind of the culture, you kind of assume that it's the statement and then that's it. Um Ryan Reeves, who is another one I'm I haven't historically liked. Um he tends yeah, to same. he tends to fight with a lot of my favorite people. He's a baller. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's not like yeah, when he, the sharks played him. Yeah, yeah, he is a brawler. That's exactly the right word for it. Um, he's another one. I'm we're clean slating it now. Um, he yep. he apparently yep. so Agreed. right now he plays for the the Vegas Golden Knights, and he talked to his team. <laughs> um, he talked to his team after Matt Dumba's speech, and Matt Dumba knelt for the knelt for the anthem. Ryan Reeves talked to his team and was like, I. I like to kneel, but I don't want to do that if it's going to make anyone uncomfortable. And apparently people on the team said that it was going to make them uncomfortable. And so he wasn't going to kneel. So their their one black player was going to Mm -hmm. continue to put their own discomfort ahead of the comfort of his white teammates. Um. But apparently when that news got out... I stand out, by my boo. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. We're, we're all allowed our own choices here. Um, but when that news got out, one of the players from the team that the Knights were going to play next, which was the Stars, um, Tyler Sagan, contacted Ryan Reeves to say, hey, if you want to kneel, I'll kneel with you. And so when, those, so nice. when those two teams played... Um, Ryan Reeves and his teammate Robin Leonard and Tyler Sagan and his teammate Jason Dickinson all knelt. Um, and that was like the first act of solidarity, visible allyship that we've seen so far um, in the NHL. And I'm not going to make this about Tyler Sagan because it's not about Tyler Sagan, <laughs> but I think many people were surprised that it was him who instigated it. Um, And he has said um, he's more than happy to kneel with other players if they want to kneel and need support, which, and Jason Dickinson, his teammate has said the same thing, which I think is a a nice step in the right direction. Um, So the, the, anyway, you know, make going full circle, um, all of the, these contradictions kind of go back to Evander Kane's statement about saying whatever you want, but until you do things, it doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. And the Hockey Diversity mm-hmm. Alliance is, um, their, their purpose is to make that difference. Mm-hmm. Do you know what kind of projects they've focused on thus far? Um, I had that open the last time we were going to talk about this. And then um, they are doing um, grassroots hockey development and equipment programs, um, anti-racism and unconscious bias education programs, social justice initiatives, scholarships, and executive training and coaching. Um, The majority of their money. Yes. Yeah. The majority of their, their funding and support is going to the grassroots um, hockey development and equipment programs um, plus youth scholarships. That's 45% of their, um, their support pie. 
they're, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I got what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is, which is great because, you know, part, one of the effects of hockey being an expensive sport is that the money is a barrier to a lot of people playing. Right. Um, and especially in America, that it it tends to exclude players of color for, you know, because of the long-term effects of systemic inequality and racism. So mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. up a lot of these grassroots programs for young children, high school students, et cetera, to have... Um, access to rinks and ice time and gear is is a huge way of breaking that barrier. Cool. That's really helpful. Um, I had heard a lot about the formation of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, um, and I knew Evander Kane was involved, and I had heard about you know the whole Ryan Reeves and the kneeling thing. Um, but I really appreciate having it laid out like that, because I've definitely been unclear on some of the details. Um, so that's, that's really nice. And I, I will say, I do think, you know, this speaks to the complications of, of being human and, of you know, and a reminder that all of these players are actually humans, because as you say, like with Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane, both like particularly with Evander, I think, you know, he does have this past that, that I am not comfortable with, mm-hmm. but as we've said when we've discussed it before, it's not impossible that he has changed. It's not impossible that, you know, he has moved on from such behavior, which we would condemn. But, um, you know, you always sort of look at that sort of thing with a big question mark. Mm-hmm. But first of all, just because somebody does bad things doesn't mean they can't also do good things. And, you know, that's it. You can't just say that people are two dimensional. They're not. Right. They're they're very rarely two dimensional. So I think we have to give them, you know, both all the kudos for this. They have taken direct action. They've said some very intelligent things. They are are leading the league in in ways to, to... Mm-hmm. try and address these issues and that's incredibly important well and and you make a good point and something i should point out um robin leonard is the golden knights goalie um and mm. he was shocking a shocking choice to kneel with um ryan reeves because he has been vocally pro-trump like he had Ooh. he had trump on his goalie mask at one point um, oh, yeah, so I heard for, about that. Yeah, so for him to what felt like suddenly, you know, take a hard left turn was surprising. Um, but that he's, is surprising. It's very surprising. But when when we saw him kneel with Ryan Reeves, um, a couple people pulled up some old tweets of his old relative, like within the last year or so. Um, where he <laughs> says he is no longer a Trump supporter and is learning. Mm. So if we are willing mm. to accept Robin Leonard as a changed human being, we mm-hmm. should mm-hmm. do the, the uh, you know, that very minimum for yep. Vander Kane as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and I think this is, you know, this gets into some larger cultural issues with, you know, with how... Particularly since, you know, 
since social media, especially, but also just, I think, since TV as well, since, and I suppose since recording, um, but we have gotten to a point in our culture where we're very unwilling to let people ever change. Yes. Um, the whole flip-flopper narrative, the whole idea that, like, even if you're somehow proven wrong, you should just double down because admitting you're wrong is weakness. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, I think the only way for our culture to ever change is if we get rid of that idea, right? You have to allow people to grow and change. Otherwise, not, you know, everything is static, right? Yep. And the only way for things to ever improve is for people to die. <laughs> I would prefer for that not to be the only way for things to get better, right? I would yep. like to think that people can learn and can grow and can, you know, address some of these issues. So so kudos to Robin Leonard then, too. Like, let's hope that all of these guys are actually doing the intellectual and emotional work to understand, you know, what has happened in their past and why they did what they did and why maybe they shouldn't have and what they're going to do going forward and and how to make all of that happen. And in, in my dream world, which I recognize the, the national hockey league is not in, um, in my dream world, (laughs) they are using this time they have in these bubbles because they have so much downtime in between practicing and playing Mm -hmm. like this should be where uh you know hockey diversity alliance can get some literally captive audiences for some anti-racism work (laughs) um i'm just imagining them all in like a team therapy session yeah wouldn't that be great it would be if they had to use if they had to use this time to talk through some things it would be great (sighs) what a beautiful world that would be wouldn't it I mean, I, I maybe I maybe this is overly naive of me, but I feel like there's got to be a certain level of that that's inevitable just by virtue of the fact that you're trapped with these same guys for however long. Like, I feel like you can only play so many games of ping pong, but maybe that's just me. We do know some of them read. <laughs> that's good. We do that's have good. some evidence for that. Um, but we also have evidence that some of them brought very large computer monitors so they could play their video games. <laughs> well, I mean, that's valid. That's valid. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. You know, you gotta. You yeah, know, I'm. I'm not so sure you can look at a group of young men and think that ever it is inevitable that discussion of feelings would break out. But one especially can, not this group of young men. I feel like no. I think that's doing them a disservice. Okay. I think there's going to be at least a couple conversations between a couple guys, you know, where something comes up or somebody's, you know, like it's true on a kind of an individual, bro. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not thinking like we're all going to sit in a circle and sing kumbaya. I'm thinking right. like, you know. No, somebody's I, thinking over pizza night and says, you know, makes some comment to the guy next to him and they both think about it for yeah. a minute. Yeah, no, I think you're right, especially with uh, Matt Dumba's speech and him kneeling. Right. Like, the fact that right. those things exactly. are happening in the bubble, they fucking right. better be conversation starters. <laughs> <laughs> we have to change the subject before I get to cynical again (laughs) we're changing the subject uh we're moving straight into uh rachel's feature so rachel it has a name now i hear uh yes a a tentative name not a super creative one i'm just uh gonna share with you another tale from the negro leagues all right as i am uh, go right ahead in the process of kind of altering that with my alternating that with my um unwritten rule okay unwritten rule 
So, Dig it. trying to, to make this a little bit timely here. I'm going to tell you about Rube Foster. We remember him from last time. And the Bunt Rally. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the with the 2020 rally. season, uh, implementing the base runner on second in extra innings rule, uh, there's more talk around bunting than there has been in quite a few years. Namely, should you? <laughs> now, bunting, as we remember, refers to turning the back sideways, holding it over the plate, and using it to deaden the momentum of the ball. Uh, ideally, you kind of let the ball trickle slowly up the third base or sometimes the first baseline. Often the strategy is employed to advance a base runner at the expense of an out for the hitter running to first. Now, you don't see that a whole lot these days uh, because there's no real glory to be had in bunting. Uh, National League pitchers and your crazy fast runners are the only ones who are going to be asked to bunt regularly. However, this wasn't always the case. Uh, Back before the game centered around steroid-fueled home runs and pitching velocity, bunting was a widely used strategy that could be employed quite effectively. Perhaps no one did this to quite such an exaggerated degree as Andrew Rube Foster. I introduced you to Foster in my last Negro League segment. He of the many and various Giants teams. (laughs) Now, this story takes place while Foster was the player manager for the Chicago Leland Giants, who were trailing the Indianapolis (laughs) ABCs 18-0 in the eighth inning. Ooh, wow. I think you can safely say the Giants were open to some creative strategizing at that point in the game. Uh, so Foster gave his battle batter the signal to bunt, and it worked. The defense didn't expect it, and the batter was so speedy that he arrived on first base safely. So Foster did it again, signaling the second batter to bunt, and again it worked. So he did it again. <laughs> and once you're on a roll, why stop? Now, supposedly, I mean. Rube Foster directed 11 batters in a row to bunt, oh and at least God. nine of them did so successfully. <laughs> One wonders at what point the souls of the ABC's, ABC's infielders simply left their bodies. <laughs> I think it's probably it. around like the 11th <laughs> point. Yeah, maybe around eight or nine and the last two were just, they were just husks of human beings. Yeah. <laughs> so legend has it that this same inning also saw the Giants hit two Grand Slam home runs which in combination with the bunt rally allowed them to tie the game before it was called off when the sun went down. Wait a minute. Now, I say so. Yes. They tied the game in one inning? Mm-hmm. Half inning. 18 runs. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> now, uh, I will say that Nancy and I have played in games where a team has scored 18 runs in one half inning. Uh, not our That's team, true. but a team. It is possible. <laughs> Now, I say uh, supposedly, and legend has it, um, because quote-unquote official statistics weren't tabulated in the Negro Leagues, and that's a subject for another day. Um, And the mentions Mm -hmm. of the story that I could find in the secondary sources uh, were pretty vague on the details. Uh, However, even if the 11-bunt rally is a tall tale, it comes from a place of truth. We do know that Rube Foster drilled his players over and over on the bunt until they could lay them down with expert precision. Sure, 11 bunts in a row in the same half inning, along with the two Grand Slams, sounds like bullshit, but doesn't most of baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I mean, as the A's have shown us, walk-off Grand Slams are real. Uh Uh-huh. They happen. (laughs) It could be. It could be. Well, that's a great one. Thank you, Rachel. I enjoyed that. You are welcome. And I think we can uh, add Rube Foster to our list of uh, folks that the podcast stands. Does that mm-hmm. seem acceptable to? I would say so. Can we yeah, call him a friend right. of the pod? 
friend of the pod, Luke Foster. <laughs> I mean, he's probably been dead a while, so I doubt he'd mind. <laughs> Ghost Works friend of the pod. Ghost friend of... Oh, he could be the pod phantom. <laughs> phantom of the pod. I don't know. Phantom of the pod. <laughs> nah. All right. Well, hats off to you, Rube Foster. Well done. Thank you for that, Rachel. Um, and with that, I want to turn to our final piece today, um, which we have been kind of promising for a little while now. Um, but then I was going through Twitter recently and really falling into acronym soup. And I messaged <laughs> Rebecca and I said, Rebecca, I need you to research this because heaven forbid I do my own research, right? Like, no, you got <laughs> your own things to research. I got through grad school. <laughs> you have your own things to research. And Rebecca's the, uh, actually the Googler. Them? No, <laughs> she is. She's the Googler. So I said, Rebecca, please, I need you to do this research. And then I need you to come back and explain this to me. And by to me, I mean to our audience, obviously, because that's what we're doing here. Um, so Rebecca, with that, I want to turn it over to you to tell us about the state of women's hockey in North America. Yes. Deep breath. <laughs> uh, so the state of women's hockey in North America is small and underfunded. That's the short answer. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm I can't short. say I'm surprised exactly. by that answer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so um, I think most people are probably, if you're familiar with anything about women's hockey, you heard about the 2019 player boycott. Um, that yes. was when mm-hmm. um, over 200 players boycotted the National Women's Hockey League, um, saying they would not play for any North American team until the league was made self-sustaining and the league and players got the necessary resources for actually being a team in a league. So, um, um, What do so you mean by the, self-sustaining the... there? Sorry. That's okay. Nancy, do you have a question as well? Yeah, I was just going to say the National Women's Hockey League was was the equivalent to the Men's National Hockey League. Is that correct? It was both the U.S. and Canada. Yes. And it was. Okay. Yes. Thank you. In, in that sense, it was equivalent. Um, self-sustaining, meaning um, the it made it had a like a, an ownership and revenue structure. It had a. Um, um, uh, sponsor structure that brought in some mm-hmm. money to pay the players. Um, I mean, I think it'll become more obvious when I give you some of the some of the background. Okay, um, okay. But essentially, the the organization and support for the various um, women's hockey leagues has been small and lacking. Gotcha. Yeah. So. I'm doing recent history, not like the whole history. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the National Women's Hockey League was originally started in 1999. Um, there were two divisions for four years, an East and West. But East was, uh, East was uh, like uh, Quebec organization uh, teams, and West was Ontario, which is where Toronto is. So. <laughs> That, that's your East and West. Um, <laughs> yeah. So a couple of years in, they did add another division. So they renamed 
the west, which was the Toronto one to the central, and then they added an Alberta and British Columbia based um, team. Be funny if they did like east, west, and extra west. That's just me. <laughs> east, west, and west, west. West, west. <laughs> west squared. Yeah. Um, so, but the problem, one of the problems was that it was too expensive for the Western teams to travel, right? So mm-hmm. that, that division within the NWHL only lasted two years. And then the Western division of the National Women's Hockey League started the Western Women's Hockey League. Um, and in 2006, 2007, the they were going to merge again. Those two leagues were going to merge again um, with the intent that the Western hockey teams would play each other for the regular season and the Eastern teams would play each other, Eastern Central play each other in regular season. And then they would only play um, West and East essentially in the playoffs. But the merger ended mid-season amidst, I don't know, a variety of things. Oh, wow. Um, so in 2007, um, the National Women's Hockey League disbanded. And out of that, um, many of the players then began the Canadian Women's Hockey League. The, um, here, the league would, it was, uh, it was structured so that the league would pay for their travel, ice time, uniforms, and some of their equipment. There was no pay for the players. Wow. Yeah. Um, then came some of that merger drama with, uh, oh, then there was additional merger drama with the Western Women's Hockey League. So it was basically like the NWHL, the Western Women's Hockey League, and the CWHL like almost tried to coexist at the same time and tried to merge, and then it fell apart. Like a, It sounds like a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um the CWHL had a whole bunch of draft drama early on. Um, like everything was, this, this was so fascinating to me. Everything was location-based. So if a Toronto, if a player in the greater Toronto area wanted to get drafted, they were not, they couldn't be drafted by a team outside the greater Toronto area because they didn't want to force the player to move which sounds a little bit ridiculous until you remember the fact that they're still not getting paid, right? So these are yeah. all women who presumably have other jobs. And so who wants to pick up and move from your home and your job to go do something you're not going to get paid for just for funsies? Like, actually, it sounds great. Like, I would love to move and just go do <laughs> things for funsies, but you can't actually afford to live in the world that we live in when you do that. Yeah. True. Yeah. So then in 2015, the National Women's Hockey League started again. Um, and, and again, this is, I, I think, part of the challenge that the women have had is that there have been these small, disaggregated, non-cooperating leagues and None of them are strong enough. The league itself is not strong enough to sustain competition with another league um, and, and, you know, all of that kind of drama. So the CWHL 
still exists. And in 2015, the NWHL started again. So they, they took a break in the NWHL basically from 2007 to 2015. Um, around this same time, the Canadian League expanded to China. Um, and the goal there was they actually had a few teams in China that were part of the KHL, which is the, this is going to sound so mm. stupid, they have teams in China for the, the Russian Hockey League. Um, um, and the, the idea there was to help the help kind of work with the Chinese hockey programs to prepare for the 2022 Olympics, which were going to be in Beijing. So it was it like, people loved the idea. It was a revenue maker for the league. Um, it was helping both leagues, both countries or all three countries. Um, and they actually started to pay their players at some point. I mean, it's like $2,000 to $10,000 a player. So this is still not a money-making venture. Right. Um, and then in 2019, basically out of nowhere, the the Canadian Women's Hockey League disbanded. The ownership basically just said... Um, there's too much competition for corporate sponsors, um, and having the league is not financially feasible anymore. And it was surprising to a lot of people because the China program had been bringing in so much revenue. Um, so it was, it was a surprise. Um, nobody expected it. And then we were left with, I want to say four national women's hockey league teams, no Canadian hockey. And, you know, these, these women have been going through this rigmarole of, do we have a league? Do we not have a league? Are we merging? How do, how are we doing playoffs? Like it's just been, it, it sounds like it's been just completely up and down since it's, since the beginning. So it was right after or shortly after the CWHL was disbanded that we got to that boycott. Um, mm. So while all of that stuff with the CWHL was going on, um, the NWHL continues now to have six teams, um, Boston Pride, Buffalo Buttes, Connecticut Whale, Metropolitan <laughs> Riveters, Minnesota Whitecaps, and Toronto Six. Um, they were the first year to... And the Toronto Six is an expansion team just added this year, right? Yes. And they are the sixth team. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I guess that's where the number came from then. Uh, I'm just guessing. Um, <laughs> I think I saw something that it has to do also with like the area code or the postal code or something okay. as well in Toronto. So like it's clever on a couple levels, if I recall correctly, okay. but yeah, it's still. Well, and, and one of the things that's interesting, the Minnesota Whitecaps seems to be like, I, I didn't, this was never explicitly stated, but it seems to be like essentially one of the longest lasting teams they were part of the original NWHL, then they were part of the Western WHL, and then they were part of the new WHL. Um, and during the time that they were not affiliated with a league, they were still playing. They were just playing like exhibition games and collegiate hockey teams. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Yeah. 
So um, this was the first league to pay players um, when they were established. The So in 2015, this the um, NWHL kind of reasserted itself, um, mm-hmm. redid its management structure and everything. So um, they had a $2.5 million operating budget, which is nothing, nothing yeah. for, a, for a, <laughs> a, a, a league. Um, 270K max salary max per team, 10K max per player. Um, um, and shortly after they started, they added a, um, an incentive for players, um, or a bonus. It's not incentive where they got 15% of the profits for jerseys sold with their name on it, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so we had the 2019 player boycott. This was when the players were basically like, okay, we are tired of getting jerked around, right? The CWHL had just closed and they're saying, we're not going to play for any of your leagues until somebody gets their shit together and makes a proper league. Um, they also created the PWHPA, which Nancy referenced earlier. That's the Professional Women's Women Hockey Players Association. Um, right off the bat, they had 170 members, which is pretty cool. Um, and the PHWPA, um, has been doing showcase events. Um, they, the 2020 men's national hockey league, um, all-star game, one of the features of that weekend was a three-on-three game with um, women players. 19 out of 20 of those women were participants, um, were members of the PHWPA. Um, And that was like the most exciting part of the the all-star thing, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, from from the people, from the fans that I know and the journalists that I follow, that was the most exciting thing. I'm sure there was a contingent <laughs> of like Senators fans and Leafs fans, <laughs> probably Penguins fans, um, who thought <laughs> it was stupid, right? Because you can't please everyone. But yeah, most people said that it was the, um, it was the best part of the All-Star weekend. So so there is now a, still a National Women's Hockey League. There are still um, six teams, but many of our best players, both from Canada and the U.S., are not playing in this because they are continuing um, to boycott until there's a better structure, settlement, income, revenue, you know, pay for the for the individual players. Um which is a which is a mixed bag, right? Because it sucks for those women who don't get to play. It sucks for the fans who don't get to see them play. But um, I I've I saw a couple of articles talking about the fact that it also makes room then for um, other women, and it seems to be many women of color as well. Um, it makes room for mm-hmm. them to play because they're not. Um, all those spaces aren't taken up by superstars. Now, the fact mm-hmm. that the fact that we can have spaces taken up by superstars that are then not available for others, like maybe if we had more than six teams, 
we'd be able to support yeah. more players. Yeah, because clearly there are enough women at this level to yeah support yeah more teams. Um, and uh, the National Women's Hockey League has a contract with Twitch for three years to stream all of their games, um, and they get they split the broadcast revenue um, 50-50 between the league and the players. So, like, everything, I don't know, there are bits and pieces of it that start to get better. Um, what's, what's very cool is... The women's uh, women's hockey, regardless of whichever league it is, had both the first trans athlete, openly trans athlete in professional North American team sports, Harrison Brown. Um, and they also had the first trans woman to come out in North American pro hockey. Um, hmm. And for some reason, I did not write down her name. Um, so, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of awesome that the women's hockey is, is right off the bat more inclusive than the men's. Um, I mean, I know it's true, but yes, it is good. Yeah. They, um, they also have partnered with you can play, which is a, um, an organization specifically designed for, um, uh, inclusion for the LGBTQ community. Um, they've designated athlete ambassadors on each team, developed policies to include trans players. Um, a few of the teams have partnered with uh, men's hockey league teams um, to provide facilities, and the, the men's league teams provide facilities for games, practices. Sometimes they help with sponsorship, marketing, um, tickets, stuff like that. But the the league itself, the NHL itself, has said they have no interest in running the league, in taking it over, anything like that, which is kind of a shame. So there is actually no connection between the NHL and the NWHL, That's right? Correct. Because, I mean, that was the thing that really floored me at yeah. first, because the NBA and the WNBA are connected. Mm-hmm. The MSL and the W or the NWSL are connected. There's obviously no women's baseball equivalent to the MLB, but but the NHL does not have or support or endorse or do any connection to the National Women's Hockey League. Um, I'm going to say no. I think they would disagree because they they gave the NWHL like 50 grand last year or something like that. Oh, <laughs> so generous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but in effect, no. Individual franchises have made the decision to support some of the individual NWHL oh, really? teams. Yeah, so that's that's like the the Devils the have partnered. The... Yeah, the New Jersey Devils have partnered with the Metropolitan Riveters, um, okay. the Wild and the Whitecaps. At least used to have a partnership. The Boston Pride have partnered with the Boston Bruins. Yeah, so that's that's mm-hmm. the piece where they get um, they get some game facilities, practice facilities, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, well, that's something. It is. I mean, it is do better in HL, but like at least the individual teams are doing something. Yes. Three of them. There, there are, there are six women's teams and 31 men's teams, soon to be 32 teams. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And only three of them Mm -hmm. have decided to work with the women's teams. Yeah. So really what needs to happen is that the NHL either needs to step the fuck up and, 
assist with the NWHL with, you know, primarily financially, I think would probably be good. Um, but also the individual NHL teams could like happily, you know, decide to fund and found teams in their local mm-hmm. areas because we clearly have enough players. Yeah. So like if the Sharks wanted to fund a NWHL team in the Bay Area, they yeah. could. Or if the Kraken wanted to launch, you know, another team at the same time, yeah. go big. No, would that be or, enough if they don't have the the central organization? Because it sounds like that's what they're yeah. lacking. Well, and I was going to say, like, I think I think partnering with the with the teams is a is with partnering NHL with NWHL teams is a is a great start because then it takes some of the burden mm-hmm. off of the women's teams, some of the financial burden right. off the women's teams to. Um, to do facilities and equipment and marketing and stuff like that. So perhaps then they could pay their players a little bit more, which then could entice more people to play. And, you know, um, I don't know that I would want the NHL, like the, this, the people who manage the (laughs) national men's hockey league to manage the national women's hockey league. I mean, it's predominantly old white men and I would love for that not to get replicated. So, Really, what yeah. I what personally I think should happen is one of our billionaire owners of one of these National Men's Hockey League teams, they should step up, right? What an amazing statement. Yeah. You could plug the franchise that you already own, but like what an investment you could set up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I love to – or it doesn't even have to be – it doesn't even have to be an NHL owner. Like uh, – some some women's uh, basketball team owner, like you, step up and do mm-hmm. it because clearly you know what's happening. Like, um, mm-hmm. I I I'm fine if the men's hockey league does not want to create the women's hockey league because uh, I don't know that they create the most um, inclusive or sustainable environment for them. Product exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they could throw some money they at could. it. That'd be yeah, cool. more than like a hundred grand a year, <laughs> which is yeah, nice. which is what one eighth of the starting salary for an entry level contract in the men's yeah. league. Whereas, the yeah, w- it's almost yeah. more of an insult than zero dollars. Right? It kind of right? is. Yeah, no, that's really true. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, this is. This is the problem because getting something like this off the ground and and having it survive long enough to get its feet under it is a long term mm-hmm. investment, right? I mean, this is I feel like similar uh, to what the NWSL has has recently succeeded in doing because of course they've had a couple iterations mm-hmm. as well where they would they would start and then they would get going and then it would kind of peter out and it would fold. And then come back a couple years later and the same thing would happen again. But they're now in, I want to say, I think it was year seven, Mm -hmm. maybe going into year eight. And they're really hitting the point where they are success. Mm -hmm. You know, they've Mm -hmm. they've got several expansion teams. They're making money. They're getting more sponsors. But in order to get to that point, you have to have the investment Mm -hmm. that loses money for a Mm -hmm. few years. And you have to be willing to say, okay... We're just gonna do the groundwork mm-hmm. 
to get good players, to build a fan base in the cities where these teams are, to make sure they have equipment, to make sure the social media is happening, to make sure that the games are being aired, you know, and and then yeah. from that point, go after sponsors, go after, you know, a wider recognition. And you just, you just, it's such an uphill slog if you don't have somebody who just is willing to step in and say, right. okay, I'm writing some this checks. Is, this is why <laughs> I am calling on the billionaire owners, like Ted Leonsis, if you want to set this up, yeah. I am yeah, right yeah, behind yeah. you. Like, this is a drop in the bucket for for a billionaire. And we have plenty of those. <laughs> right? Even, even, yeah. Yeah, we do. We have quite a few of them. I mean, More we, ha- we need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and Ted Leonsis, I mean, he's real proud of owning yes, Washington yes. Mystics, right? So, like, this would be a perfect... I mean, he could be the first guy to really invest in the NWHL and be a mm-hmm. hero, you know? Be lauded. I mean, I'm sure the Mystics mm-hmm. would be all in favor of this. They'd be... Well, and honestly, it. I think we're also a really good region to support oh, a, a women's hockey team. yeah. 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 Okay. So Ted Leonsis is going to fund a new team and also shovel some money into the NWHL. Ted, if you're listening, uh, I'm into call it. me. I'm into it. I will happily work for your. <laughs> we'll tweet at him. NWHL. Yeah, we should write him a letter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll just we'll get him right mm-hmm. on this. Good to know. Well, thank you for that, mm-hmm. Rebecca. That's really very helpful because I was definitely confused about who was boycotting mm-hmm. what and how I had thought the NWHL had also folded. Well, they and, did. Okay. So then they came back. To know. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Okay. So the NWHL, and you said they're sponsored by Twitch, so we could watch games yes. on Twitch. Though I think I saw that their season is not starting until January of 2021. That makes year. sense. I, well, I believe, and okay. I believe I and saw that. they, I believe they only play twenty four regular season games. So right, and it's like on weekends. Yeah, because they've got full time jobs. All these women have actual yeah. jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. The estimate right now is that um, they get the some of the top players get paid fifteen thousand dollars for a season for two night practices a week plus twenty four regular season games, and you know, hopefully, maybe some playoff games. $15,000. I mean, you could like just about replace all your skates and maybe make a down payment on a car. Maybe. That. That's, you know, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, should we, should we each, you know, for when women's hockey comes back, should we each pick a team and just, you know, maybe follow along yeah. a little bit? I call the yeah. Riveters. Rachel, do you want the singular whale? <laughs> I do want the singular whale. Okay, you can have the singular whale. Where are they Rebecca's based out gonna, of? I'm going to take the river. Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay, well, I'm kind of back, backing the Connecticut sun, too, so why not? Oh, okay, good. there you go, then. May as well. Double down. So who's yours, Nancy? I could do the white caps. Okay. I'll, I'll do the white caps. That sounds good. I was yeah. going to suggest yeah, like that, because they, like they seem to maybe be, like, the oldest. Well, you know, i got family from Minnesota, okay. so I can I can right, go cool. on that. That's valid. Yeah, okay. So stay tuned. When when games start playing again, we will let you all know and we will be watching them on Twitch. And you can, as our listeners, either join us in our fandom for one of these three teams or you can back one of the other three. And uh, we'll, we will single-handedly build <laughs> a fan base and persuade investors. Make the people <laughs> demand make it. This a thing. 
Yes, yes, we'll get. I even have a pitchfork handy, <laughs> so <laughs> we could be a mob. Okay. I like it. All right, well, and with that, we have talked for a very long time, but I feel like this was a really good conversation. So I want to thank you both for for doing that today. Um, we are online in various places, Rebecca. Where are we? Oh, we're in so many places. Excuse me. We are at Falpuck. Ah, shoot. I don't have the thing open. Wait, now I do. (laughs) We are at Falpuck Podcast on Instagram, Falpuck Podcast at Gmail, um, and then Falpuck Pod at Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud. And FalpuckPodcast.net. Yes. Yes, and we would like to thank Joe for doing our editing, and uh, our music is from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. And it's great. And this has been an episode of Foul Puck. I have been Nancy, your host for today. And I've been Rebecca. Uh, I will continue to be Rachel. Excellent. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in again next time. And if you enjoy this or any of our episodes, go give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We need them. Please. Thank you. See you next time.